Pastor Cedric Moss, our guest speaker for today, is the founding and senior pastor of Kingdom Life Church, where he has served for the past 21 years. Pastor Moss attended Shepherd University in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, graduating with double Bachelor of Science degrees in Economics and Business Administration. For approximately 15 years, he was a bivocational pastor working in the international financial service industry and serving in pastoral ministry. In addition, he is a graduate of Sovereign Grace Ministries Pastors College in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Pastor Moss has a passion to see the church reform to function in her biblical role as salt and light and for the influence of Christ in his kingdom to be extended to the ends of the earth. For this reason, he is actively involved in addressing national issues from a biblical perspective. And in this regard, he, Pastor Lyle Bethel, and Pastor Lee have addressed a number of issues. Pastor Moss is happily married to his wife, Alexine, of 23 years, and they have three children. It's a delight to have Pastor Moss in the service this morning to minister to us. And I invite you out tonight, because Lord willing, he'll be back again tonight. Pastor Moss. Lord bless you. Bless you. Well, good morning. And Pastor Albee, thank you for reading my introduction. You can tell that he did not write that. Um, it's something that we just send out uh, on a standard basis. But it is a joy and a privilege to be here this morning to serve Pastor Lee in his absence. And I say to you something I've said to the men of this church when I spoke to them a few months back. Pastor Lee is my favorite senior pastor in this country. And uh, I don't say that to flatter, but in all seriousness, that is, that is the truth. And I just want to say that you are blessed as a church to have him serving and to be leading you here at Calvary Bible Church. And I pray that on Tuesday, if you're able to, that you're at the airport. I pray you get that time. I pray that NAD is concerned by all the people who are at the airport. So I, I encourage you, if you can, be there to welcome Pastor Lee. I also want to let you know that Kingdom Life has been praying for Pastor Lee and for this church. And it's something we'll do again on Wednesday when we gather corporately uh, to pray. Well, in the interest of time, let us look to God's word. And I'm going to ask if you would to turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And please follow along as I read. And I will be reading from the English Standard Version. If you have another translation, yours will read slightly differently. So, yeah, page is turning. Sounds like we need to become familiar with the Old Testament a bit, eh? Second Samuel 9, verse 1. Still turning. Are you looking for something else? <laughs> verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. 
And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant? That you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege we have this morning to gather. Lord, thank you that we gather on the ground of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that we can come to be reminded that our Savior's work is a finished work, that he lives and that he abides. And Father, we ask now that you would open your word to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us illumination by the power of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me and that I would be faithful to your word. And Lord, faithful to care for these who are gathered this morning. Father, I pray that you would anoint every heir to hear your word, and then, Lord, to respond as we ought. Lord, we trust you to do this now in Jesus' name. Amen. But I'm grateful to God for the privilege of being here this morning, and it really is because there are some faithful men back at our church who are taking care of responsibilities that I have there so that I can be here. And one of those men is a man by the name of David Humes. 
A number of years ago, David was involved in a very bad traffic accident. And it's a miracle that he survived. He was involved in a head-on collision. And the last thing that David remembers, because he lost consciousness, is a car just uh, hitting him head-on. And when he regained consciousness, he was on the side of the road with paramedics seeking to assist him. But one of the interesting aspects of David's story is that although David was very grateful to God from the outset that he spared his life, about a week later, David experienced an increase in his gratitude. And the reason is because a week later, an officer, a police officer, came to see David at his house, and he wanted to take a statement from him. And the officer told David that there were some details that he did not realize. David thought it was a two-car collision, and the officer told him that when, at the initial impact, his van spun around and hit another car. And it was a three-car collision, but he did not know. And David realized how close he was to death's door. And what happened to David was that as as his awareness of what God did for him increased, his gratitude to God increased. In other words, for David, it was more knowledge resulted in more gratitude. And for those of us who have trusted Christ as Lord and personal Savior, what happened to my friend David in his accident is very similar to what happened to us in salvation. Our lost condition was far worse than we know, and God did for us far more than we realize. And for many of us this morning who have trusted Christ, I believe that it would be correct to say that we still don't fully understand all that God did for us in saving us. And this passage before us this morning provides a vivid picture of what happened to us in salvation. And this morning... Here's what I want us to see from this passage. David's kindness shown to Mephibosheth is a divine illustration of God's kindness shown to us. The truth this morning is that more important than recording a historical act in the kingship of David, this passage points us to God's marvelous grace to unbelievers. It's an echo of God's kindness to us in salvation. And so this morning, I want to consider this scripture passage under the following three heads. First, the reason for David's kindness, and we see that in verses 1 through 7. Second, the reaction to David's kindness. We see Mephibosheth's reaction in verse 8. And then third, the result of David's kindness we see the result in verses 9 through 13. So let's consider these in order first. The reason for David's kindness. Why did David show Mephibosheth kindness? Well, the reason is first of all stated in verse 1, and then it is repeated in verse 7. David showed Mephibosheth kindness for Jonathan's sake. David and Jonathan had entered into a covenant many years earlier. And we find the account of it in 1 Samuel 18. And we now see David honoring that covenant. 
by seeking out anyone of the house of Saul to whom he could show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And at this point in David's kingship, the house of Saul is almost extinct. So David searches for anyone who is left so that he can show him kindness. And David's servants did not know of any survivors, but they did know someone who they thought would know. A man by the name of Ziba. So they called for Ziba. And notice in verse 3 how Ziba responds when David asks him about Saul's descendants. Ziba says, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. Notice that Ziba shows no regard for Mephibosheth. He does not even refer to him by his name. He refers to him instead by his condition. He says he is crippled in his feet. And essentially what Ziba is saying to David is, listen, you don't want anything to do with this guy. The man's a cripple. He's of no value to you. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we read for the first time about Mephibosheth and what happened to him. When word came that Saul and Jonathan had been slain on the battlefield, Mephibosheth's nurse picked him up and wanted to save him and spare his life because the rule was that all of the king's sons and descendants were killed when a new king came to the throne. And in her haste, Mephibosheth fell and he became crippled in his feet. He was five years old at that time. And now in chapter 9, a lot of time has elapsed and we see that Mephibosheth is an older man now. Verse 9 tells us that he has a son. But David overlooks the slight of Ziba. And David still inquires about the location of Mephibosheth. And Ziba tells him he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. The word Lodabar means pastureless. By implication, it, it means that the land was useless. It was good for nothing. That's where this crippled man lived. And we see that his location matched his condition at least in his own eyes. In verse 8, Mephibosheth refers to himself as a dead dog. In verse 5, we see that he comes before the king. David sends for him and brings him to Jerusalem. And then in verse 6, you'll notice that Mephibosheth comes and he is rightfully afraid. He is one of Saul's grandsons. And he should have been put to death when David assumed the throne. And so in verse 7, David rightly assures him, it's going to be okay, Mephibosheth, you don't need to be afraid. And what David does is David offers Mephibosheth kindness in the form of not killing him, restoring all the land of Saul back to him, and giving him a place at the king's table. Brothers and sisters, this morning, as we consider the reason for David's kindness to Mephibosheth, it was for Jonathan's sake. The illustration of God's kindness to sinners screams out. You see, Mephibosheth is a descendant of Saul as we are descendants of Adam. And in the same way that Mephibosheth was an enemy of David and deserved David's wrath, we, as enemies of God, deserved God's wrath. But Mephibosheth received kindness. He received kindness from David for Jonathan's sake, just as we received kindness from God for Christ's sake. 
In the same way that the kindness extended to Mephibosheth was neither earned nor deserved, the kindness extended by God to us was neither earned nor deserved. It was because of another. Notice that three times in seven verses, in verses 1, 3, and 7, the word kindness is mentioned. And in verse 3, David calls it the kindness of God, because the kindness that he extended to Mephibosheth is of divine origin. We call it grace. But it's more than grace. It's amazing grace. This passage also illustrates for us in a beautiful way God's gracious initiative in salvation. And the reason that God graciously acts apart from us and in spite of us to save us. We know from this account in 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 2 Samuel, that David sent for Mephibosheth to be brought to Jerusalem. But had David simply sent out a word to Mephibosheth, had David simply sent a message to Mephibosheth and said, Mephibosheth, it's okay, you can come to Jerusalem, I'm going to spare your life. Mephibosheth, not only could he not have come because of his feet, he would not have come because of his fear. And so we see that on his own, Mephibosheth was both unable and he was unwilling to come to David. Brothers and sisters, in Mephibosheth we see ourselves. In Mephibosheth we see our helpless condition before God, before he saved us, and how there was no reason in us to save us. The reason was outside of ourselves. And there we were, all of us who have come to Christ, there we were in our lostness, living in spiritual Lodabar, which vividly depicts life in this world away from God. We were enemies of God. And even if we wanted to come to God on our own, we could not because we lacked the ability to come to God. And as Mephibosheth had to be brought to David, so we had to be brought to God. Listen to these words from Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, where the Apostle Paul describes vividly the sad condition of the entire human race. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have all become worthless, no one does good, not even one. In short, the entirety of Adam's race is unable and unwilling to seek God. And so for anyone to be saved, God must graciously act to pursue them because of Jesus, just as David graciously acted to pursue Mephibosheth because of Jonathan. Well, that's the reason that Mephibosheth received kindness from David. It was because of Jonathan And the reason that we receive kindness from God is because of Jesus Christ. But now that we know the reason for the kindness shown, let's now consider the reaction to David's kindness. How did Mephibosheth react? We see his reaction in verse 8. In verse 8 it says, He paid homage and said, What is your servant? that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. Mephibosheth is amazed at the king's kindness. 
He knows full well that he is an enemy of the king, and what the king is doing makes no sense. Notice that although the king tells Mephibosheth that he's extending kindness because of Jonathan, that's not enough for Mephibosheth. It doesn't make sense. He questions it, and he says, Why do you show regard for a dead dog such as I? And some of you may be saying, well, come on, Mephibosheth, you're exaggerating. The situation isn't that bad. You're not a dead dog. Brothers and sisters, Mephibosheth's view of himself is not an exaggeration. As one of Saul's descendants, he deserved to die. As a lame man who could barely help himself, it doesn't take long to imagine how miserable and how degrading his life must have been. I imagine that for a man like Mephibosheth at that time, personal hygiene would have been a major challenge, and David probably smelled him before he saw him. He was crippled in both feet from the age of five. He lived as an orphan most of his childhood. All of his life he lived as an enemy of the king under the threat of death every day in a forsaken place called Lodabar. His name, Mephibosheth, means dispeller of shame. But there he is, and his life contradicts his name. He lives with shame, and he lives in shame. And that's how he sees himself. So in reality, Mephibosheth's view of himself is no exaggeration. And his reaction to David's kindness is sheer amazement. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage us this morning to allow Mephibosheth's reaction to the unmerited kindness of David to inform our reaction to the amazing grace of God. Even though we know that God's grace can't be earned, we should still be in amazement, and we should still ask why. And the reason we should be amazed is because grace is not properly understood if it doesn't amaze us. If you're not amazed by the grace of God, you don't understand the grace of God. But sadly, our trouble is we have an inaccurate view of God, and we have an inaccurate view of ourselves. Our view of God is distorted, and our view of ourselves is distorted. We, we, as a result, what we do is we think too little of God and too much of ourselves, so we're not amazed. We're not amazed that the holy God of the universe can save and bring before himself undeserving sinners. We think that's his job. And we think we're not that bad. But when we understand the grace of God in salvation, it will amaze us. So let me ask you, those of you who put your trust in the Savior, are you amazed? Do you see yourself as deserving of God's wrath and amazed that he has graciously acted to save you and to bring you to himself? And if not, then you need to consider why not. And this account of Mephibosheth is a great place to start. Well, we've considered the reason for David's kindness and the reaction to David's kindness. Now, third and finally, let's consider the result of David's kindness. Look at verse 9 with me. In verses 9 and 10, he gets his land back, and Mephibosheth moves from wealthier to wealth. In verse 13, we see that he is no longer living in Lodabar. He is now living in Jerusalem, the city of the great king. 
But most important, the most important result is as a result of David's kindness, Mephibosheth eats at the king's table as one of the king's sons. Three times in this passage, in verses 10, 11, and 13, we are told that Mephibosheth ate at the king's table. So why? Why is Mephibosheth eating at the king's table? We know it's not because he's hungry. We know it's because he doesn't have provision. Verse 10 tells us that Ziba and his 15 sons and 20 servants are cultivating Mephibosheth's vast land holdings. So we know that he doesn't lack food. So why is he sitting at the king's table? You see, Mephibosheth ate at the king's table because it spoke to his new status and his new position. He sat at the king's table as one of the king's sons. Now, brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. If David had simply said to Mephibosheth, I'm going to spare your life and left him in Lodabar, that would have been grace. That would have been grace. If God had forgiven you and I, if God had forgiven us, if God had just said to us, you're forgiven, go, that would have been grace. But he didn't do that. He forgave us and he brought us his sons to his table. And what Mephibosheth did for David, for what David did for Mephibosheth, saving him from death, abundantly blessing him and seating him at the table, was amazing. It's amazing grace. It's amazing grace. Look at verse 13, and you'll notice the last six words of verse 13 are, are, are curious words. They're curious words, and they demand contemplation. Why does this account end with this information that we have already seen in verse 3, and he was crippled in both feet. Why is the author telling us again what he has already told us? Why end this account with these words, and he was crippled in both feet? But if we don't contemplate these words, I believe that we will miss a significant point in this story. In verse 13, the author seems to be intentionally contrasting Mephibosheth's position seated at the king's table with Mephibosheth's condition lame in both feet. And I think when Mephibosheth was tempted to get beside himself, because of his vast land holdings, because of his large number of servants, because of his privileged place at the king's table, I believe he would remember, I was born of the house of Saul. I'm crippled in both feet. I don't deserve this. I deserve to die So I'm grateful to the king and I will be faithful to the king because when I was not thinking of the king, I was running from the king, afraid of the king. The king was thinking about me and he gave me mercy that I did not deserve. The result of David's kindness to Mephibosheth points to the result of God's kindness to us. God graciously lifted us out of our spiritual load of our. He has done for us far more than we deserve. And this reality should be especially to the fore of our minds when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because when we come to the Lord's table, we come as spiritual cripples. And we are carried on the wings of grace. 
Spiritually, we are all lame in both feet, just as Mephibosheth was carried to David's table by hands. We are carried to the Lord's table by grace. Mephibosheth remained helpless. He was always in need of God's mercy and grace. Brothers and sisters, we are no different. We're no different this morning. Well, the story of Mephibosheth does not end here. In 2 Samuel 15, Absalom rebels against David. And David flees from Jerusalem. And as he and his company are fleeing, Ziba meets them. I want us to pick up the story in chapter 16. So if you would turn there, 2 Samuel chapter 16. Starting in verse 1, it says, When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him. And with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread and a hundred bunches of raisins, a hundred summer fruits and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. And the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. I want you to mark for a moment what Ziba says in verse 3 is a lie. We'll see shortly that Ziba lied about Mephibosheth. I also want you to take note that the question that David asks about Mephibosheth in verse 3 is a valid question. While there's nothing that Mephibosheth could do to earn or to pay David back for what he did, Mephibosheth was expected to live as a debtor of mercy. He was expected to live his life for the king as one who received mercy from the king. David's question about him, about where he was in this time of his distress, it was a valid and appropriate question. David rightly expected Mephibosheth's allegiance, and God rightly expects ours. Not to earn grace, but because of grace. Let's fast forward to David's return after the death of Absalom. So if you jump over to chapter 19 with me. David is now returning to Jerusalem. He's pardoning all of his enemies and we pick up in verse 24. It says, Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes. From the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. Let me ask you, does that sound like someone who wants to be king? Does that sound like someone who is saying the kingdom is going to be restored to me this day? From the day that the king leaves, he doesn't care for his feet, doesn't trim his beard, doesn't change his clothes. 
I think we know if you wore your clothes just for three days, you could imagine what the smell would be like. We're not told here, but the time that David left in exile from Jerusalem was quite some time. Quite some time had elapsed. Reading the account, it's easy to see that. Ziba lied about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth longed to see the king. Verse 25, and when he came to Jerusalem... When he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my Lord the King is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before the Lord the King. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the King? The King said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided, you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. Just a couple of things. Here again in verse 25, we see David asking Mephibosheth, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? It's an appropriate question. Not that Mephibosheth could earn or pay David back, but Mephibosheth was expected to live in view of the mercy, of the grace that David had given to him. And brothers and sisters, we expected to do no less. And then look back at verse 28. We see that Mephibosheth, although he has servants and vast land holdings, he has not forgotten his condition. He has not forgotten who he was. And I believe that so many in this audience would be very much like myself, having come to Christ for quite a number of years. We could so easily forget what we were and where we were when Christ saved us. But Mephibosheth has not forgotten. Look at what he says. All my father's house were but men doomed to death before my Lord the King. But you set your servant as one who eats at your table. Brothers and sisters, this is a commentary on all of Adam's race. We, like the rest of Adam's race, were doomed to death before a holy God. But God has had mercy on us, and we should never forget who we were. I'm affected by Mephibosheth's response to, to David. He, he knows he has no right to cry out to the king. You see, because I think what happened for Mephibosheth as he sat in David's household, as he related to David's men, some of the men who chased Saul, some of the men who knew the tyrant that that Saul was, I believe that in Mephibosheth's experience with these men as he sat with them in conversation, Mephibosheth knew and he learned just how guilty Saul was and how guilty he was and how deserving he was of death. And Mephibosheth knew my life has been spared. And therefore he says, I have no right to 
to the king concerning these matters. He has spared my life. He has made me one of his sons. He was convinced that he deserved the wrath of David, but David spared him. And brothers and sisters, something happens for us as well. When we come to Christ and we study his word and we sit in this house, we learn in the same way just how deserving we are and how deserving we were of the wrath of God. And if God had punished us eternally, it would have been just punishment. In verse 29, we see an example of David's weak leadership. His inability to make difficult decisions. He chooses the middle of the road. First he takes everything from Mephibosheth and he gives it to Ziba. Now he's taking half and giving it back to Mephibosheth. But note Mephibosheth's response again in verse 30. Let him take it all. I don't want half. Give him all of it. See, that's the result of kindness. That's the result of understanding the value of grace to those who deserve to die. It resulted in Mephibosheth's love for the king and not for what the king could give. Brothers and sisters, God's grace to us is so amazing. It should have the same transforming effect on our hearts and on our lives. We should love God more than the blessings of God. For those of you who know Christ this morning, my prayer for you is that you will be more amazed by the grace of God. As you grow in your understanding of your previous lost condition, of your helpless condition before holy God, and how God extended grace and mercy to you, my prayer is that you will grow in your amazement of God's grace. And I pray that in a similar way that my friend David's gratitude to God increased when he learned what God really did for him in his accident, I pray that your gratitude and my gratitude would increase as we ponder what really happened to us in salvation. I'm aware this morning that in an audience this size, that there would be some who are standing outside of the portals of salvation. You don't know Christ in the pardon of your sins, but you're here this morning, and I respect you for that. Thank you for being here. I just want to address you for a couple of moments. First of all, part of Mephibosheth's story is your story. You're living in a dark, fallen world away from God, the king of the universe. And even though you're present this morning, you are living with your back towards God, and you desperately need God to graciously act towards you in mercy the way David acted towards Mephibosheth. And I believe that your presence here this morning is evidence that God is at work. And God is enabling you to hear the good news of his grace in Jesus Christ. And that good news is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And all who come to him, he will turn none away. And I pray that you would cry out to God, that you would ask him to have mercy on you, and then all of Mephibosheth's story will be your story. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would cause your word to echo in our hearts. I pray that you would cause us to hear your word as we ought. Father, I pray that you would cause us to reflect upon it, even as we leave this place today. For those of us who know Christ, may our amazement at your grace continue and increase. And for those outside of Christ, would you have mercy on them, and would you save them? In Christ's name, amen.